Hello and welcome to Heroes of New York, a podcast about everyday heroes who have refused to let the pandemic stop them from serving others. In every episode, I will introduce to you someone who has risen above the odds to uplift people around them. I'm your host Anu Senan. Hi and welcome. This is the last episode of season 2 of Heroes of New York. We will be taking a short break after this. and then we'll be back again with amazing stories but in the meanwhile enjoy this episode i take a trip around new york city with two volunteers who help the homeless because they want to one of them is kim marco salvo she's a wonderful human being i met her through the scouts program when i enrolled my son she volunteers with them kim when she's not working in the fashion industry is busy helping homeless people on this occasion she packs sandwiches for them and we walk around Penn Station one very cold Saturday morning in January my hope is that i can talk to a few of them but turns out they're not interested to speak to a woman holding a mic so i stay at a distance while kim distributes food and talks to them and finds out about them she knows them she knows every one of them it's amazing to see the length some people go to to help others There are times that Kim distributes mufflers, shawls, etc. It's extremely cold. She understands and she does this because she wants to. We are near Penn Station, very close to 7th Avenue and 31st Street. There was a time during the deep lockdown when there, it was a completely desolate area. People weren't coming in and out of Penn Station and Kim was still coming to distribute food to homeless people. Kim, what do you do? So I work in the fur industry which is on 30th Street and uh I studied at FIT and I started working uh at my job when I was still in college and then I just stayed. That's my my one and only job that I've had straight through. What inspired you to start helping people? So it just takes a moment for somebody to do something and it doesn't cost you anything. That moment doesn't come with a price tag. that moment comes with the reward and the ability to just offer that moment to help somebody think about how many people come in and out of Penn Station every single day even before the pandemic and think about how many people there are that they step over or step around or walk on the other side of the street because they don't want to go near them how many times they've said something to them how many times people have cursed them out or walked by in disgust or they grab their children and hold hold them closer because they think, you know, they're going to get the cooties. It's not like that at all. These are people. These are these are brothers and sisters. They're people that just, you know, strayed the wrong way, got left behind, came under the wrong influences, but they're people. They're they're humans. They're not garbage, they're not trash. They're not uh, leftovers. So it's just uh it's touching when you get to know who they are that uh homelessness does not discriminate. It doesn't matter how you were brought up or your education or what kind of job you used to have or even if you have family because all everyone came from somewhere. So all the people that we see, they came from somewhere. They have family somewhere, but they've just uh, found themselves in a position where they're they're like this now. And I don't think anyone does it to themselves intentionally. I don't think you wake up one day and say, "Oh, I want to be homeless," or "Oh, I'm going to sleep on the street tonight," or "I'm going to pick through the garbage to try to find something to eat." I don't I don't think anyone makes that that 
uh, conscious decision. I just think that people find themselves in bad situations and it's very hard to get out once that happens. Kim tells me about the deep deep shutdown during 2020. During the deep deep shutdown, it was very difficult for anyone on the street because there was no one to ask for help. There was just nobody around. So now here we're standing in Greeley Square and there are some people walking around that you can see. You know, they're coming up from the subway, maybe they're going to their job, but when it was March and April and May, there was nothing. Totally desolate. They didn't have the tables and chairs out. There were no people, nothing was open. And so even if you wanted help or wanted to ask someone for help, there was no one around. So there's a there's been a big difference now. At least there's a little bit of life, a little bit of action. So maybe they can at least ask people for help. But during that time, no one was around. It was very eerie, but it was also very sad. Kim tells me more about herself and what inspired her to start this journey. So when I first started going out in March, I used to go home and cry because the conditions people were in, you know, who didn't have any teeth, who was missing legs, people who with mental illness that, you know, couldn't even make a sentence or would run away from us. And so every Tuesday night I would go home and cry. Now I can't wait for the next Tuesday night. because now i see the little bit that we're doing that is a little helpful just for the amount of time to give them a little bit of comfort a little bit of interaction a little bit of humanity so it's uh you know i like you know tuesday nights become one of one of my most favorite nights uh, of the week on the corner of 31st and 7th kim stops to distribute food and earmuffs to homeless people and more and more homeless people are coming toward her none of the homeless people want to talk to me the minute they see the mic they turn away so i stay at a distance and kim goes to them hands them sandwiches socks and earmuffs but she doesn't leave immediately she makes it a point to stop and talk with everyone ask them how their day is going what challenges they are facing and generally make small talk i can see the homeless people smile and chat with her like they've met an old friend kim's taking a long time she's chatting with this gentleman who's on a wheelchair sitting right outside the penn station i have no medical background but i think that al must be schizophrenic if i had to give him a medical diagnosis because you can tell the way he speaks that his mind doesn't have a clear thought pattern to it but he's very kind and i really don't think that he does drugs because he doesn't have those types of actions or personalities to him and i never smelled alcohol on him so i don't even think that he drinks i think that his issue is just one of mental illness it took a very very long time before we could actually approach him to speak to him because he stays very enclosed and even his body language tells you that he wants to be left alone. He doesn't want to be encountered, he doesn't want to be engaged. And I think that the other people that are on the street know that because there is a level of respect for one another. And he's also a little bit older. He's not like a punk kid. So I think that people realize that they should be leaving him alone and just letting him be the way he is. I don't think that they harass him or I don't even think they steal from him. 
But you can tell the way he keeps his things in bags. And he's always, like, fussing with them and tugging on them. He has to have some kind of tactile motion to his day. And uh, he doesn't change his clothes. He's been wearing those same clothes since March. I don't think he's ever, ever changed his clothes. He now has two more jackets than he used to have. So I don't know if he had those hidden somewhere or if he was able to get them as the weeks went on. In the summer, he was just wearing four layers of things, even when it was 100 degrees outside. He just had those things on. He would not take them off. But uh, he's a very nice man. I, I, I don't know why he's here. I wish that someone, you know, there was a way somewhere to help him because it's definitely a, a mental issue. It's not the influence of anything. Kim walks over to the lady who sits in the bus stand, hands her a sandwich and a pair of socks. She's asking her if I could come in and interview her. A lot of these homeless people are scared. They don't want to be interviewed. They don't want their pictures to be taken. Understandably so. So there's a woman who stays at the bus stop on um, 7th Avenue and 31st. And she's been staying at this bus stop. It's probably been about six months now. She's probably in her late 50s. It's difficult sometimes to tell the age of people on the street because the conditions have taken such a toll on them. So sometimes it's difficult to pinpoint, you know, if they're younger or older just because of the conditions that they live in. But uh, she's safe there. No one seems to bother her. And she's very nice. So I'm going to go over and talk to her and see what she's doing. Like when you're helping people, do people have to be scared? So we've never encountered anything dangerous. I don't think that people have weapons on them. So I don't think that they're going to like take out a gun and shoot us or even take out a knife or anything. What is scary, though, is when you speak to the people that have mental illness, because sometimes they can get angry at you. They can scream at you or, you know, sometimes they do use curse words to um, let them know that they don't want to be bothered. And we've had a couple of episodes where people just basically yelled at us, but nothing to put us in harm, nothing dangerous. Even the drug addicts that we encounter who are actively using drugs, they're not dangerous. They're not out to harm anyone. I think that they're just looking to make their life uh, go away. And that's the answer that they have to make their life go away. But no one, these I, I don't think anyone is like a, a hard convicted felon out to like attack people. Not the people that we see. But remember, I'm only seeing a very small neighborhood. You know, a very small, minute area in comparison to, you know, all of Manhattan or all of New York City. So maybe there are neighborhoods where the people living on the street are dangerous. But these people have been here a very long time. So, you know, if they were out attacking people on a daily basis, I don't think that they would be there anymore. So it's really, they're probably the least dangerous people that you can encounter. Kim also volunteers with the community of San Egidio, USA. And I speak with Paula, who is the director of the USA New York chapter for the community of San Egidio. Hi, Paula. Welcome to Heroes of New York. Very glad to be here with you and thank you for inviting me. Paula, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and the work you do? 
I'm originally from Italy, where I met the community of Sant'Egidio, to which I belong, and I've been part of it since a long time ago, when I was in high school, and now I've been in New York for almost 30 years, and I am the president of the community of Sant'Egidio here in the U.S. And Sant'Egidio is a community that prays together and does a lot of service to the poor worldwide. It's a movement that is worldwide in 70 countries of the world, but whatever the community is, we do have a, a service with the poor and a prayer together. And here in New York, we did several things pre-COVID and then during the COVID. And in particular, we do this outreach to the homeless. We started 11 years ago. Very simply, three of us wanted to respond to what we saw around. And so we started preparing some sandwiches and soup. And we went to Grand Central with the idea of bridging that gap, of meeting this world that we as many New Yorkers see from afar, encountering the street, sometimes try to avoid, but we went there with the intention of encountering them, of meeting them, of listening to them. And in that sense, the food that we offered was also a, a way to interact, a first step to open a conversation. So we started 11 years ago on a Tuesday evening, and since then we have continued. We didn't miss Tuesday. Actually, we added more days. And from that 20, 30 sandwiches, now it's an operation of 500 meals twice a week at Grand Central, at Penn Station, and other parts of Midtown. And the idea is always that, to respond to a need and to try through the conversation with our friends to understand more and more what are the needs. Our approach is very much of respect and dignity. We try to introduce ourselves to let them introduce themselves if they want. We don't ask why or when or the reasons why we end up in the street, but we really try to meet them in the moment, in the present situation, offering a space that uh, sometimes they don't have. One of the things that struck us when we started was that uh, they said, you are the first person talking to me today. Is the first word that I'm saying, and that was on a Tuesday night, you know, so which struck us in the sense of isolation and loneliness that obviously became paramount during pandemic. During the pandemic, this was 10 times, 100 times more. If you were to explain this to a person, right, homelessness, what would you say homeless is not? is not people who, who enjoy being there and have an easy life. That's the best they can do. That's not true. That is not taking advantage of what is around and enjoying life just because they are not another solution. First of all, they are men and women with a story, with a name. I insist on the name, with a birthday, like anyone else. And they have uh, stories, attitudes that are like we are, different from one from the other. And that you discover only through speaking with them. It's not that they are all the same. There is not the homeless. That's not. There are different men and women with different stories and different stories also of homelessness. So in a way, I would say it's not a category. It's not a group that is homogeneous. It's not a group that needs to be fixed. There are men and women with a little difficult story, with a vulnerability that need to be accompanied through their lives. That's what I think. They are not, you know, I think in our world, we want to fix things. We want to find solution. 
And we sometimes we want to impose solutions, but those solutions are not the same for everyone. I insist on that. You know, there are people who who have different story and different backgrounds, and you cannot just impose a solution. How would you inspire someone to volunteer? I would say that it's a fascinating encounter because uh, you discover a reality that is very far from what you live. I have to say it's also rewarding <laughs> because the men and women that we meet are very grateful for whatever. Sometimes they open up and it's very, you know, beautiful and enriching to walk together in this life that we have. I am a believer in in the fact that we need to be together, that our community, wherever it is, believes strongly in coexistence, in having a society which gives room to everyone, from the elderly to the children, and, and therefore also to people with difficulties or vulnerabilities. And I think what you find in the end, that it's a very enjoyable and enriching life. Before the pandemic, we had a um, a little moment of vacation together. And we had 10 of our homeless friends and 10 of our children in the from the Bronx, from a program that we ran, and 10 of us. And we spent a weekend in the Catskills, very enjoyable, offering a space that is not the usual one, that is not the program or the soup kitchen. And I know that it's needed. I'm not saying that those are not needed because obviously there is a first response that it's part of uh, supporting life. But I think that openness allows you to meet these people in a different space with a little more open-minded and enjoy their stories, their talents. Some are artists, some can tell stories, some can tell very little, but that's what it's like. <laughs> what is your message to our listeners? Don't be afraid of people. Don't be afraid of opening up to an encounter that is not all predetermined. Enjoy every minute. We never had an experience of violence or threat. <laughs> so I think that that's in this also months of pandemic, we discover a unity and a beauty in being together, both from the volunteers part to our friends. And I think that that's the richness that we have to build if we want to go out of this pandemic in a different way, more human. Thank you. I think it's an absolutely beautiful message. And I really, really hope that through the story, we can inspire more and more people to actually come out and help their homeless brothers and sisters. Thank you so much, Paula, for the work that you and your team do. It's a great honor to have you here. Thank you. My pleasure. The other individual who I take a walk around with is Imad Kachan. Imad Kachan was a guest on Heroes of New York. His episode was the first episode of the second season. It's called Angels of New York. Check it out to hear more about the work that Imad does. He owns the only chess shop in Greenwich Village. It's called Chess Forum, and it's a place where you can buy these exotic chess boards. When he's not selling chess boards or playing chess, Imad walks around the neighborhood helping homeless people. And so, on a cold, wet Friday night in January, I follow Imad along West Village and Greenwich Village as he talks to people he knows. I speak with four different people on the street who share their stories with me. Four different perspectives of being on the street. Outside the Lennox Hospital in Greenwich Village, we run into Julio, who's an ex-Marine, full of life, happy to share his story with us. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm good. What's your name? My name is Julio. Julio, tell me your story. Well, I'm a former Marine. Uh, actually, right now I'm homeless. 
but I'm still proud to be a Marine. I served honorably. I got out of the Marine Corps and I wanted, I, I was a follower. So I, I followed a lot of guys in the streets. I'm from the South Bronx. And so I got into drugs and everything. And I had a good job on Wall Street. And so selling drugs and using drugs, I went to prison and everything. But at the end of the day, it taught me a lesson. Don't be a follower. Always use your own mind. And so now I'm homeless, but, you know, I don't do drugs anymore. I'm trying to get off the street. And uh, I tell jokes, you know, that's what I do for a living. I don't just ask people for money. I, I go to people and I say, hey, uh, what's the best reason to date a homeless guy? After the date, you can drop me off anywhere, you know. And, and, and uh, people take a liking to me. People have helped me out. I know there's people in the world worse off than me. You know, I wear a mask every day and I don't even drink Corona, but, <laughs> but I just try to stay positive, you know, and I tell people all the time, especially kids, no matter what's going on in life, if you smile, it'll get better before it gets worse. And so I've been around the world. I was in Lebanon. Which year was that? In 1983, when the first suicide bomber uh, killed uh, 241 military personnel and uh, a lot of Marines died and I'm going to tell you something, you know, like I went in the Marine Corps. I met a guy. We had a fight of uh, what they used to call redneck. And, uh, you know, he passed away. But he was my best friend before he passed away. You know, And because that's how the Marines are. No matter what happens in our privacy, when we're out there, we got each other's back. Which year did you retire? Well, I got out of the Marine Corps in uh, 1984. I was in I was in three years. I had a three year and I was young and dumb. I should have stayed in. The Marine Corps was a little, I'm not going to lie to you. Back then it was a, you know, a very racial divide. It was divided racially, the Marine Corps. It was a like, and I'm Puerto Rican, but you know, I'm considered black in, in, in a lot of countries, a lot of places, or uh, in some places they even consider me white. When did you become homeless? I became homeless in the, uh, 2003. And then since then, you know, I had a place and then, uh, you know, like last year I, I had a place, I had a room, I, I was renting, it wasn't like, I didn't have paperwork, you know, like I didn't have a lease and everything. So after the, uh, when the COVID hit, uh, you know, I, I used to make a lot of money telling jokes at like One Oak, clubs like One Oak, Marquee, you know, restaurants like Cat Steak and, and, and Pastis, those restaurants, I'd go there and tell jokes and people would give me money. But when the COVID hit, I, I couldn't even make a hundred. I, I used to give away a hundred dollars a week and I couldn't make a hundred dollars a week. And so the lady had told me I had to leave. And that's how I became homeless again. Have you ever, have you ever tried going to a shelter? Yes. And recently I tried and I just can't do it. Like the shelter system is the worst shelter system in the world here in New York. Like I went to the shelter at, uh, I was on the subway at one o'clock in the morning. They closed the subway and they asked me, uh, you want to go to the shelter? And I was like, yes, I'll go. The van did not come pick us up till 4 o'clock in the morning. We had to stand in the rain till 4 o'clock in the morning. And then when we got to the shelter, I did not even get a bed. You know, it was like 6 o'clock the next evening. And I still had not had a bed, a shower. I, they gave you food, but, you know, like, it, it's terrible. And then the, the place was disgusting. You know, it was like the bathrooms was like nasty. You know, it was terrible, a terrible experience. And I, and I left. I didn't even, I never slept there. I left. 
because I, you know, like the train, the subway is much cleaner. And then there are buildings like where I usually, I have a big blanket here and I usually sleep in, inside a, a building, a project building. I'm not going to say which building because they might come get me in the restroom for trespassing. But some people in, the, in that building where I sleep, you know, they give me food. I have some clothes there, you know. I just have to find a, a decent place to take a shower. I tried the street showers that they have. And the, like you go in those showers, those things are disgusting. I'm like, who would, like, I'm homeless, but still, I'm still a, a human being. And so, you know, I just deal with it. I, I just don't look at, like, I have a lot of negativity sometimes, but I don't look at the negative side of the day. I, I like to let people know that, you know, there are good homeless people out here. On 9th Avenue, we meet a woman. Her name is Kiki. She's stooping over with the cold and her age. I ask her her story. Hi. Hi. What's your name? Kiki. Kiki. Yeah. So, what's your story? I'm homeless. How long have you been homeless? Ten years. Ten years? Yeah. What happened? House burnt down and stuff. It's a lot of stuff. Now I'm just struggling. Yeah. I don't want these boys to think that I'm snitching. That's (laughs) right. Yeah, because they think that I'm, you know what I mean? Talks out about some bullshit. So, uh, tell me what happened. Nothing. My house burnt down. I sleep with men, you know. It's different stuff. There's a lot going on. Just crazy, did you try the shelters? No. Why? I'm scared. <laughs> what are you scared of? Corona. <laughs> but that's 2020. What about before 2020? I did it one time. Where do you sleep? On the trains. Uh-huh. You have family? No. The trains close at 1. I just get on the path and ride all night. Then when New York opens back up at 5, I get back on here, ride, sleep, get up. You know? They don't bother you, though. Do you plan to stay here? No. What are your program and stuff, get myself together. Uh-huh. It's getting harder and harder. Yeah. What are the toughest challenges of being on the street? Finding to eat and sleep. <laughs> on the corner of 23rd Street and 7th Avenue, Imad and I run into a homeless man who talks to us about his journey. Hi, what's your name? My name is Mr. Payne. Mr. Payne, how long have you been here? I've been here for years. How did you become homeless? I've been homeless for five years. I got family. I go to their house sometimes. I go to other people's house hang out. They're friends. Mine. I look out for each other. Look out. Until I get my own place. I'm just waiting. Because I got caseworkers and things. I look out for other people. That's myself. Have you thought of going into a shelter? I've been there once a couple of times, but they rob people over there. That's what stopped going. It's not good in shelters. Bad boy. And you moved out? Yeah, get out. Yeah. Where do you sleep? I sleep in my sleeping bag. Have you ever faced any problems here? Not yet, because I'm good. People are friendly? Not all. Some are, some not. Have you worked anywhere before? Yeah, still working. Where do you work? I work at a school on 18th Street. I'm cleaning for every day, night. I'm like a porter. I've been doing that for a long time. Would you be able to afford a house? No, I won't. My auntie will. Gotta get my stimulus check soon. You're gonna get half of that. Put in for what you gotta do. I'm going to get my own later on. I'm working towards it. Right now. How was 2020? 2020 was rough. 
Right now I'm cool. I don't have no corona, no got nothing. It's wild and clean through my nose. You're getting ready to come down, it's gonna rain. Get ready to head on the subway and get out of here. Before it comes down heavy. It's gonna be rough out here, it's gonna snow, it's gonna rain. I'm all good. Thank you. He's sitting right outside a subway. Imad gets into the subway to buy him dinner. As we finish our walk and head back to Imad's shop, we find an artist on a wheelchair begging right outside his shop. His name is Diego Da Vinci. He used to be an artist for rich people in Tribeca. And this is his story. Hi, how are you? Pretty good. What's your name? Diego Da Vinci. Can you tell me your story? I came here on Instagram that I had at one point in time. And unfortunately, I never did the shelters because I was doing artwork for some rich people in Tribeca. And unfortunately, I went into a shelter and decided on trying to get a place to be established indoors. And I got hurt, robbed. I'm not from here. I'm from San Diego. And unfortunately, I'm living in the streets, struggling to get a meal, hot chocolates, anything that can come about with people that usually help me out. But other than that, I lived with bone cancer for years. Unfortunately, I'm an artist. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a type of person that's going to just let myself go down. Regardless of the struggle, I'm still a strong person like everyone else in the world. Do you get your treatments? No, I don't. Not no more. I don't have no IDs, no benefits, no nothing. They cut all that off when they stole my IDs and messed my paperwork up. And Who's they? Gang member kids in the shelters of New York. That's what it is. And I'm what, what kind of art do you, do you do? Portraits of people and graffiti and combination of both. I do murals actually throughout the years of my life. And they ordered me at one point in time when I had a page. And unfortunately, I'm stuck in the streets trying to figure out what to do, how to get home. My family don't even know I'm going through the struggle. Where's your family? In San Diego. Unfortunately, it is what it is. I can't go back because I don't have no type of financing or anything. They cut my disability checks off because they messed up my social and everything else, the gang kids in the shelter. I was born in San Diego on a Navy base with my family. My family's all Navy. I'm not, unfortunately. But you know, I lived a beautiful life. Regardless, it was kind of tough on a Navy base in, in San Diego. I traveled because I love traveling to do artwork for people. How did you become homeless? Being hurt, left in the hospital for 10 months. I got cut from the middle of my back down to my buttocks and robbed and stood in the hospital for 10 months. And when I came out to get my property from the storage I had, the pandemic shut everything down. So unfortunately, I'm not going back there. I've seen three different shelters I was in. People died by the hands of young kids. So I don't want to die like that. I got cut as it is and left in the hospital for 10 months and losing jobs because of the pandemic and everything else. I'm afraid to go back into the shelters. How long have you been homeless? I'm going into my fifth year now. So unfortunately, you know. Where do you sleep? Wherever I can keep warm. Train stations in little areas where I have to leave before the businesses open up and stuff like that. Do you get paid for the work you do? Not no more. Homeless, no materials, no type of shelter. I can't do work out here. My hands are cold. 
You know, this is the reason why I, w I walk around and ask people if they can help me get a meal, which unfortunately a lot of people don't feel that they should stop and listen to me or at least help me for the point. It's a struggle, but like I said, I'm strong as everyone else that's struggling in this world. Probably even more than those. There it is. It sums it up. And I thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. This wraps up season two of Heroes of New York. We will be back soon after a short break with lots of new stories. Until then, take care and goodbye. Thanks for joining us this week on Heroes of New York. Make sure to visit our website anusenan.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes. If you love the show, please leave a rating on iTunes so that we can continue to bring you amazing episodes.